Well, we've made it to the month of March, and today, March 8th, is International Women's Day. And I wanted to take a different angle this week and talk about some of my personal favorite female heroes. And hopefully, I'll introduce you to someone you've never heard of before. Welcome to the Pilgrim Feet Podcast, an audio companion to the Our Pilgrim Feet blog that helps you achieve self-sufficiency and your own brand of freedom. I'm your host, Katie Sutton-Smith, and I'm so thankful you decided to join me today. So I have to be honest, I'm honestly not a big proponent of isolating things by characteristics. I'm a big believer in holism, if you hadn't guessed by now. But since podcast day has fallen on International Women's Day, I decided I'd go ahead and make a list of my personal female heroes. And I also have a list of male heroes, mostly just because I don't isolate my heroes by gender normally, but instead by the ways they're inspiring. But I've put this list together and gone in order from the oldest to the most recent. Hopefully you'll enjoy learning about these women as much as I have. So I'm going to start with Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Though her time in the Bible is small, she's really only found in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. She's one of two women that are mentioned in the Bible that have had a huge and profound impact on me in my life. If you don't know about her, Hannah was the most loved wife of a man named Elkanah, but she was sterile. As the Bible says, quote, the Lord had closed her womb. And because Elkanah's second wife, Penina, knew how badly Hannah wanted children and how much more their husband loved Hannah over her, she would mock and torment Hannah until she was so despondent she wouldn't eat, she couldn't sleep. All she could do was cry. And being a deeply religious man, Elkanah would go up to Shiloh every year where the temple was, and he would take his family with him, And one year, again brought to tears by the mocking of her rival Penina, Hannah went to the temple to pray. And, as the Bible says, she, quote, prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly. Now, during this prayer, she promised the Lord that if he gave her a son, she would dedicate him back into the service of the Lord as a priest. And the priest at the time, Eli, happened to see her and thought she was drunk and told her to go away. He was like, oh, look, it's a crazy drunk lady. Get out of here, crazy drunk lady. And she argued and said, I'm not drunk. I'm heartbroken and I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. The Bible says, praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And her prayer was answered. In fact, before they even left Shiloh to return home, the Bible says she became pregnant with a son she would name Samuel. And she did do as she promised. Once Samuel was weaned, she took him to the temple and handed him over to be raised as a priest. I cannot tell you how much admiration I have for this woman's strength. And I have come back to her story time and time again over the years in my own anguish and grief over our fertility struggles and our losses. I absolutely marvel at her strength. She wanted a child so badly that she was willing to tell God, look, if you'll just let me have him and let me hold him, even if it's just for a few months, I will give him back to you. And to me, it might sound crazy to other people, but to me, 
That is faith and strength on par with Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. What's the difference? Abraham and Sarah waited centuries to have Isaac. And when they finally had him, God said, okay, now take him up on a mountain and get ready to sacrifice him to me. And here's Hannah who has waited. The Bible doesn't even say how long. We can assume less time because, you know, but she waited years to have a child and told God, if you will just let me have a son, I will give him back to you. I couldn't do it. I have been a person on my knees weeping bitterly and praying out of great anguish and grief for a child. I know I couldn't give back something I wanted so badly, but that level of faith is so great and so strong. It's admirable and inspiring. And what God did with Samuel is so amazing and incredible. And he was able to do it because Hannah had such faith in him. The next woman I want to talk about is a woman from the 17th century called Maria Gruyere, also known as Maria de la Incarnation. Uh, she's an amazing woman I had the opportunity to learn about while taking a random course in college called Women in the Margins. And her story can be found in the book Women on the Margins, Three 17th Century Lives by Natalie Zeman Davis. And I will link the uh, link to the book in the show notes. This book covers the lives of three very, very different 17th century women, all of whom were incredibly amazing women living I, just spectacularly different lives at the same time. But for me, Maria Gruyere stood out because I saw in her a very, very kindred spirit. And I'm not going to go into all of the details. I really encourage you at least to get this book and read about her. But she was married very young and widowed very young with an even younger son. <laughs> She had always felt called into service as a nun, but her social standing at the time made that impossible. Instead, she was married off, and when her husband died, I believe their son was three years old. Definitely tragic, and while she certainly cared for her husband, writings from the time and her own writings later on essentially tell all of us that really there was a freedom and opportunity in the loss of her husband that she hadn't really thought she would get to have. It opened up the opportunity for her to now work towards finding an opportunity to take her vows and become a nun at the local convent. And in fact, she was able to do that when her son was only 11 years old. This was a very difficult decision for her. And this was after years and years of essentially living the life of a nun without having the privileges such as they were of that station. Once she joined the convent, her son missed his mother so much he would come stand outside the convent crying and shouting for her until they sent her out to comfort him. And really, it was her son that the devil used a lot to try and convince her that she'd made a bad decision. A number of the challenges in her life dedicated to her faith came from her son. She had terrible guilt over leaving him, even though she really left him in very good hands. And later on, when she felt called into ministry overseas, he stood in direct opposition to her. And she had to counter with him that just as she had had to trust that God would care for him when she joined the convent, he needed to trust that God would take care of her when she went overseas. And God stood by her and provided her always with the right people at the right times in the right places to keep her going. She was an incredibly strong woman. 
One that I have very much admired more and more as I've read about her. As I mentioned, she was called to build a ministry overseas in the 17th century. She felt called to go to Canada and build a convent out there ministering to the native people of Canada at the time. I was rereading through all of the information in my book just this past week and actually commented to Husbando that we're aware now that there were some really, truly appalling and atrocious things that happened in some of these religious institutions that dealt with native peoples. But one thing that I was very struck by in reading not just her writings of her interactions with people at the time, but the writings of others at the time was her focus wasn't so much on civilizing people. She didn't care that they had a different way of viewing the world. Her focus was on them. Her focus was on their soul. She didn't take in native children and essentially kidnap them from their homes and tell them they could never go back. She openly admits Sometimes the native children get melancholic here, and so we freely let them go home, and we welcome them back when they're ready to come home. Women, children, and men were constantly coming in and out of the area where her convent was, and were frequently interacting with her and the other sisters that went with her. And there are writings from tribal members where they talk about exactly those things and how much they appreciated her and loved her, because she really did love them. She tended to believe God loved them and created them as they were. And so her God wasn't to change them and make them quote unquote civilized. It was to guide their souls to what she believed was salvation. So in my mind, I find her to be a real inspiration. And I definitely encourage all of you to go learn about her. Okay, number three. Number three is Jane Austen. And I know this is probably really cliche for me to have Jane Austen on my list of inspiring women. I don't care. Jane Austen is one of my favorite writers of ever of all times, no matter what, forever. And really, I actually was thinking about this while I was doing this. I think all my favorite writers are almost all my favorite writers are women. She used to be my favorite because, of course, of Pride and Prejudice, but another college course I took had me reading through a few of her different works, most of which I'd read before. Some of them I don't like. Don't ever talk Emma to me. I hate the book Emma. <laughs> and I was introduced to the new Jane Austen novel that would become my all-time absolute favorite book of ever, Persuasion. Ever heard of it? The BBC did a lovely, lovely film adaptation of it years ago still one of my favorite movies. I even have a link to both the book Persuasion and the, well, hopefully I'll have a link for the DVD copy of the BBC adaptation video in the show notes. Take a look. Maybe it was because Husbando and I were engaged at the time that I had to read these and we were living in opposite parts of the world, separated from one another, and we were having a lot of trouble with his family, and they were really pressuring and harassing him to break our engagement. But Persuasion really talked to me. It's, it's one of my favorite books. <laughs> and there's a part toward the end of the book, as everything is finally beginning to work out. Lovely Anne Elliot tells Frederick Wentworth that while she would never give another girl the same advice she had received that had caused them both so much heartache. She couldn't resent the person who had given the advice, only herself for having been persuaded 
against her own judgment. I'm not going to spoil any of it and give you anything else or any other context because really you should read the book. It's a wonderful book. But one of the reasons Jane Austen is one of my favorite heroes and a huge inspiration to me is because her books are lovely examples and descriptions of just the human condition and where I can see other people becoming frustrated and embittered over things that have affected society since we had societies and continue to affect society even now. She has always dealt with humanity with both affection and humor. And really, that's how all of us should approach life is with affection and humor. We all suffer from the same thing. We all suffer from the human condition. If we have a little bit of humor and affection for one another, we can get through any of it. So I'm sure you've noticed a running theme in most of the women that I have found to be inspirations and heroes in my life. And these last two are no different. The first is a wonderful woman I met in my teens, and her name is Heidi. And she's one of the most, well, it's really difficult to describe Heidi. She's a bit like a living saint, but I know she hates that comparison. <laughs> um, but I have never before or since met someone who is so wholly focused on the word of God that her faith remains absolutely unshaken, despite the really, truly terrible trials that have been thrown her direction. Like, I'm pretty sure most of us, if not all of us, have heard about Job and how God allowed the devil to destroy everything in his life, his health, his wealth, his family. Heidi has been through terrible, horrible challenges in her life. She has been battered and beaten by the world time and again. Her life was shockingly difficult before our paths ever crossed. And then when they did, I watched the women of our church bully her without any care for what she had been through and certainly no desire to help guide her or help her. They were jealous of a model-thin, absolutely gorgeous woman. They took every opportunity they could to try and break and humiliate her. At the time, she was a single mother of two. She then remarried and adopted the two daughters of her second husband, who continued a pattern of spousal abuse. And when she finally escaped that marriage, she had two more daughters, which made her a mother of six and not just a single mother of six, but a single mother of six girls. Now, let me tell you, I know those girls went through the normal growing pain of any groups of kids, but Heidi was, a, was and is a mother to every single one of those girls, and her faith in God not only remained unshaken, but all six of those girls have an incredible and astounding relationship with God. I'm not sure how many of you out there have ever read Gone with the Wind, but if Melanie Hamill were a real person, she would absolutely be Heidi. Her gentleness of spirit and yet resolute and indestructible faith literally changed my relationship with God. I think I've mentioned before how my family and certainly the way I was raised, We've always been very much a God helps those who help themselves sort of mindset group of people. For us, that's always meant struggling along and not bothering God with small, inconsequential details and needs. After all, 
he's the supreme creator. He's dealing with issues on a cosmic level. He doesn't have time for us to bother him with little tiny things. He's we need to figure out the little stuff and only bother him when it's important. Like when my brother almost died or when my sister almost died. Those are the things you bother God with, right? And then we met Heidi. One of the first stories she ever told us was how she bought her house. She was a single mother of two at the time and finally had enough to place a down payment on a home and had a solid, very strict budget of what she could afford. And she wasn't finding anything in her price range. So she sat down with the two girls and said, okay, let's write a list. Everything that we want in the house, everything, all the little details. We want a pool. We want it to be two stories. The oldest girl wanted a wall of mirrors in her room with a ballet bar because she did ballet. They needed room for a piano. They wrote it all down in a list. And then every night they would pray over it. And they would ask that God pointed them in the direction of a home that had every single one of these things and that they could afford that was in their price range. And they found it. Everything. Right down to the girl's bedroom with a wall of mirrors and a ballet bar already installed. This was a life-changing story for me. All of a sudden, it wasn't that God was too busy to care about the details of my life. And so I started talking to God and actually communicating. It explained concepts of prayer that nobody had ever really talked to me about. I mean, even in church groups, I had been taught, you know, the idea of the Lord's Prayer. First, sit there and tell God that he is great and wonderful and amazing, and then ask him to meet, you know, the important things in your life, and then thank him for being so wonderful. I'm not saying I disagree with that. I think it's a great way to teach children how to pray. But especially as we get older, we have different needs. God wants us to come to him for help. And this story really, really brought that home for me. And it changed everything about my prayer life. I needed it. Because especially over the last few years, with the challenges Hasbando and I have faced through our marriage, the ability to sit there and talk to God and pour my heart out to him. Much, I'm sure, as Hannah did as she wept and prayed in great anguish to understand God wasn't sitting there on the other end of a phone going, uh-huh, 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 no. He was actually listening and he actually cared about the things I was talking about. I was, if we had never met Heidi, I don't know that this change would have ever happened. And for that, and for the example she has always been, she is absolutely one of my heroes. Lastly, for me, a list of my female heroes could never be complete without discussing my mother. Because my mom is a force of nature. <laughs> my mother has never been one to give up, especially when it came to having sick children, and she has dealt with a lot of it. When my brother was sick and no one could find out why, this was back in the time before the internet, and she would go to the local library and research for hours. Anything the doctors told her they wanted to test for or that they thought he had, she would go to the library, she would look it up. She would look up any research that was related to it. She would highlight, she would photocopy, and then she would go back to the doctors and say, you're wrong, and this is why. It took a year and a half 
But they finally figured out what was wrong with him. And she never stopped fighting for him. Same thing when my sister was born and nearly died and spent her first two weeks of life in a neonatal ICU. My mom was there every single minute she could be. She only went home during shift changes for the nurses. And that's when she would shower and she would eat and then she'd be back at the hospital. More than once, God has called her into ministry. And every single time she has thrown her whole heart and soul into her work, not because it was her work, but because she had been called to do it. And there are people out there that have found their faith specifically because of the time, effort, and energy my mother has put into making sure that the experiences they had in the churches where she was working brought them to the throne of God. But as with any strong soldier in God's army, Satan always comes after wherever we're weakest. And for my mom, that is her health. And over the years, her health has been ravaged. Her autoimmune conditions have done their damage, and that has only been exacerbated by a healthcare system that is more often than not inadequate or unwilling to help her where she needs help and has allowed her to deteriorate further. And even with that, when she's not too tired or in too much pain, she is still volunteering and giving. She's always giving. And I'll admit, for her kids, sometimes this is a source of frustration. We would like her to stay home and take better care of herself and maybe not constantly be giving to everyone else. But it's also an inspiration. And it has turned us into people who give. As I remind Husbando often, no one ever truly became poor from giving. And I absolutely believe that. The riches you receive may not be seen here on earth but they will certainly be felt. And I know there are those that my mother has helped and guided and that they feel richer for the experience. So that is my list of, I guess, my top five female heroes and inspirations. Next week, we're going to get into our Path to Freedom tools for creating our actionable freedom plan. So until next week, keep faithfully walking your path to freedom. We love you and we wish you the best. I want to thank you for joining me today. I love sharing with you and I hope you feel comfortable sharing with me too. Please feel free to get in touch with us. Let us know if there's any topics you'd like us to cover. You can comment or send us an email at pilgrimfeet at ourpilgrimfeet.com. I'm Katie Sutton-Smith. I want to say thank you for joining us today on the Pilgrim Feet Podcast. And please sign up for our newsletter and come back next week for more.